Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome, everyone. A few of you I haven't seen for a while. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Yeah, Michael. Great. All right. Um, so I got this email this morning, and I thought I'd read it. I don't know why, but <laughs> um, we have this um, community email where everybody tells you what's happening and gets rid of things at the curb. You have that here in Long Beach? Um, I think there are these emails that you get on these email lists for your neighborhood, and everybody talks to each other in the neighborhood. So this woman writes today... Um, I took a morning walk, and I was just in the middle of a police chase. These things happen. <laughs> Hopefully everybody's OK. Um, through the Pete's Center. I think she's referring to Pete's Coffee. Uh, guy jumped the gate into apartment complex behind Pete's. Uh, complex now surrounded by police. Be cautious if you love there. I'm sure he's in the carport someplace. And I love that line, be cautious if you love there. <laughs> and it's so true. Be cautious if you love there, right? It's, uh, it relates to the talk in some ways today, I'm sure. <laughs> the biggest problem, we love and then we cling and attach and want it our way, right? And. Um, the difficulty of being human is um, that ache of love that we all have to struggle with and work with. So um, what I wanted to share today is an article um, written by Buddhadasa Bhikkhu um, called Nibbana for Everyone. And I have a copy of the article for anyone who's interested. Um, so Buddhadasa Bhikkhu uh, was a monk uh, from Thailand, and he was born in 1906, and he lived till 1993. He ordained at age 20, and he opened a forest meditation center in southern Thailand. Um, and he's known as a scholar of Buddhist, Buddhist texts, even though he, I think he went to the eighth grade, but um, well-known scholar. And also for making Buddhist teachings very practical and very hands-on, very simple. And um, he wrote this article, Nibbana for Everyone, um, in response to some of the ideas that we all carry, whether um, we're from Thailand or America or anywhere globally, about spiritual awakening um, and about enlightenment. So um, Nibbana. Uh, is the Pali term for enlightenment or awakening. Um, so who here wants to volunteer? When you think of enlightenment, what do you think of? Seeing you, inside. Seeing inside. Anybody else? What's enlightenment? Yeah. Um, so freedom or liberation from, mm. from delusion, including attachment and... idea of separate self. Yeah, this is a, of course, we have a very sophisticated group, so you could ask, what is Nibbana? You get a very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Um, but he, he's really talking about addressing um, that a lot of us project, when we think of enlightenment, we really think of this very holy state, you know, the holy robes and walking on water, um, and this state that's free of all pain, chock full of happiness. I'm actually reading this from his writings. Um, all the wishes are fulfilled, no more suffering, you know, you're perfect in every way. I certainly cultivated this idea of enlightenment through most of my life um, in my spiritual search. And um, personally, I think I, I cultivated an almost Disneyland view of enlightenment, you know, um, one that came with a magic wand and all these powers. Um, but he actually, um, another thing that's been written about enlightenment in Buddhism is that um, you get it after many lives and many deaths, and that you've, over many lifetimes, you've perfected the perfections or the paramis, and you're free of greed, hatred, and delusion. And this is going to take a while, folks. You're going to come back over and over and over again. And that's um, one of the myths or beliefs of Buddhism, whichever side you're on. But um, in his study of Pali and Buddhist um, teachings, he brings another definition to us of nibbana. And it actually um, refers to the Pali word for cooling, and it comes from the kitchen. Um, and it's what the cooks refer to when the rice is too hot. They say, let it nibbana. And the rice cools down. So it's about this cooling process um, of the heart and mind. And um, it's this quenching the thirst or the cooling of um, the calaisis or the defilements is another thing we call of greed, hatred, and delusion. Or desire, wanting mind, grabbing mind, the mind that wants, wants, wants. Um, the mind that rejects, that doesn't want what's here, um, that um, says no to what's happening, right? And the mind that can't see clearly, the mind that's foggy and lost. We're not seeing the truth of the way things are. And so um, he's talking about Nibbana as this cooling, this letting go, this mind and heart that's settling down and releasing the strong grip. Um, and we like to say and remind everyone that um, greed, hatred, aversion, delusion, we're born with it. It's a um, conditions we're all born with. It's not that we're less than or just inadequate in any way. Um, there are conditions that are packaged within the human being, right? The baby's born really needs that breast for milk, right? It's going to grasp or cling to live. It's inherent in our survival strategies. And what he points out here is that so is Nibbana inherent in our survival strategies. That that cooling process, that letting go, and that releasing of the things we cling to also keeps us alive, well, happy. It allows us to sleep at night. It keeps us safe and everyone else safe. So both are inherent qualities within us. 
but we don't think of enlightenment factors as so practical and available to us, right? We think, a lot of us think, um, enlightenment is for someone else, right? Someone else will get it. That person who goes on all those retreats, <laughs> right? Who's living in the monastery, maybe they have robes, or they've written a book about Buddhism, they'll get it, right? But I won't get it, right? I don't have these qualities. I can't get it. Um, and he's really pointing to, you already have it. It's already there. And for most of us, we need to cultivate the seeing of it and the understanding of it when it's occurring so that we can create those conditions or work with the conditions um, that um, allow us to experience more of it, experience less suffering, be free of the suffering, yeah? So um, he says, the highest spiritual illness lies deeply hidden in us. You know, that suffering um, that lies deeply hidden or sometimes it's on the surface as well. And it torments us secretly. And quenching of this thirst, of this suffering, is the path of being human. It's, it's the human process. Um, I think of that line, most people lead lives of quiet desperation. You know? um, that inside suffering and he says, it's a natural state where these defilements end. They cool. They're exhausted, and they're cooled. And he gives the example of, um, you know, when you're having a barbecue, right? And you've got coals in the fire, and the coals are on fire. I haven't had a barbecue lately, but I do remember this. <laughs> um, and then the fire goes out, but the coals are still hot and you can't pick them up, right? The coals are still hot, you can't pick them up. And um, this is what happens for us when we're clinging and grasping or we're um, in a version of some kind, right? Or we're not seeing it. Um, sometimes the mindfulness and the awareness, we can see what we're clinging and grasping on. And already when you see it and you know it with mindfulness, with the mindful awareness, it's already cooling a bit. The fire is going down already, but the coal is too hot to pick up. The coal is too hot. It's still cooling. And this is the um, process that most of us with the mindfulness practice experience. There are things that we just cannot cool all the way but they're cooling. You get that? Um, at my last retreat on DPP, they asked us um, six principles, the noble view, right view. And one of them is, um, am I obsessed, absorbed, or fixated in any way that stops me from seeing things as they actually are? It's a good question, yeah? And the second one is, when I let go, when I surrender obsession, do I experience that release, that nibbana, that stillness, that peace? Good questions. Um, when I think of the coals, 
the cooling of the coals. I think of a story um, a colleague once told me, um, this supervising analyst I had, and um, she told me the story. She was going to a conference in Sweden, and she remembered that her mom had these distant cousins in Sweden. And she contacted them. She was really excited to find new relatives. Story about Nibbana. And a practical story. And she was so excited, uh, she told her sister. And the sister, they've always had a competitive relationship with a good amount of hostility and anger. <laughs> Have you, you know any of those relationships? And um, the sister, contacted the cousins and decided to go to Sweden too, you know? <laughs> and not only that, made some plans with the cousin that excluded her. Yeah, it's a true story. And um, my colleague, who is um, a wise and dear friend, um, was describing the states of mind that arose when she found this out, you know, um, her aversion and her anger and her, the hurt, but really the anger, the hurt, the aversion to this incident, and um, this, after that, this complete longing from the heart, this wild longing, this cling, almost a clinging to this desire to have family that's different, you know, a sister that just loves and that includes her, that there isn't this fierce competitiveness that's driving them over the years and that this wish that after all these years of being alive, you know, they're already in their 50s, 60s maybe, that something would change, you know, and her longing was deep. It was like this howling longing in her that, was, that ran so long, so old, so much history, and it was like the coals were still hot, you know, the coals were, but she said with the mindfulness practice, you know, she could just sit with it and watch the cooling of the desire, of the sadness, of the wish, of the longing, the clinging, you know, the aversion um, in this story, and just accept that Sweden was Sweden, you know, right? And we all have that. Sweden is Sweden. Another beautiful story she told, and the reason why I love her stories about Nirvana is that she could describe desire and clinging without, um, without self-contempt or self-aversion. A lot of us, when desire comes up, we have aversion or shame, or we're, we feel bad about it. And if you're a certain religion, it has a certain flavor, I understand. And every religion can make you a little guilty about desire, right? Um, you're nodding your head, because we have a certain, right? There's a certain guilt and, right, it, that comes with, yeah. There's different flavors of guilt. Um, but she actually, um, with the mindfulness training and some psychoanalytic training, um, I think of her because she describes the desire states with such love and compassion as, yes, of course they're here. It's natural. I'm a human being. 
It's natural for me to desire certain things and certain relationships, right? And certain clingings. And so another one uh, that I love that she told me um, was about um, hitting a certain age as a woman where um, she no longer had this youth and beauty. She's a very beautiful woman. And um, it began to occur to her that as she walked about her life in the world, that she wasn't getting attention from men that she'd always gotten all her life and expected and enjoyed. She could actually say, I like that. It, I, 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 it appeals to me to be looked at in a, in a way of being wanted or being identified as a sexual person or um, just getting the good stuff at me you know, all the time, and I don't have to do anything, I just have to smile, you know. Yeah. And she's very clear about um, the wanting of that and the losing of it, the, that it's fading, it, it's going with her aging process. And she described, again, the cold, sitting with the desire of wanting that, of still wanting to be identified as a sexual person who's wanted. And watching that over time through grieving and being with it mindfully, you know, we sit with it embodied and we're open and honest. Already greed, hatred, and delusion is fading. That process, there's a fading of it happening on its own through the mindfulness process, right? Through being with the truth of the way things are and really being with it, yeah? And she's, she's just sitting with it and watching that cold, cool of desire, you know, and this change, and seeing it all the way through. And that's the nibbana process, you know, of this cooling of, of the conditions that come up in life, allowing it to cool. Um, and then she talked about going all the way through the desire to the place where she could see another possibility of being you know, of walking around um, free of having to look a certain way, mm-hmm. right? Of free of having to be a certain way, just free of that. That she found a real freedom in um, losing this image that she really loved. It's not always easy. Um, so this is what uh, Buddha Dasa Bhika wrote. Um, The cooling factor sustains life. The end of dukkha, the end of suffering, is the coolness. It is the coolness. Um, The exhaustion of heat produced by these defilements. I like to say these natural occurrences. Um, They will quench on their own, or they quench through our dharma practice. But they do quench, And, and I'm sure that all of you sitting here can think back to a moment of when you naturally let go of wanting, grasping, your anger, or just some delusion that you were carrying around. Um, it, or we do it through practice. And whenever they are quenched, there is a thing called nibbana, coolness. Um, and he says all reactive emotions. Yes. I have a question because um, I had an incident when you were telling that story. Yes. It reminded me of when I went a couple of weeks ago to um, Long Beach uh, Pride 
and I was dancing and everyone there was mostly, everyone there was very young and they had their beautiful skin, so beautiful. And I thought, and I was experiencing this thing like, oh my God, I'm so old, I'm so embarrassed. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm here. Like, don't look at me. Like, I'm so sorry, like, for being old around you guys. And I was thinking, I noticed it. So I thought, okay, this is something. I'm aware of these thoughts of like, oh, it's not okay to be older. But then I was wondering, where do I get to the nirvana, nirvana? How do I let that go? Because I, I felt like, okay, these are beliefs that I don't even question really. Like, it's not okay to get older, especially as a woman. I don't know, maybe for men too. I'm not sure, but it's not okay. So then where do I go to get to that place? Well, that's where really, you know, we allow ourselves to have the mindfulness practice of being with it in a compassionate, loving way and seeing it through. See, most of us were trained when that ache comes up, uh, go get busy, right? Get a glass of wine, do something, go shopping, call a bunch of people, get rid of the feeling, right? Chocolate, you know, do something so that you're not with it that aversive state or the painful state. But the mindfulness practice teaches us to stay with it, with compassion, with presence, with curiosity, with energy, right, with love, so that we let that coal burn. Now, we don't make the coal stop burning, right? You don't stand there over that the hot coals and say, stop burning now, right? <laughs> Sometimes you do pour water on it, but a lot of times, right, you know? But a lot of times you just wait and the coals cool. So patience comes in. Just watching without wanting an outcome, right? It comes in, it comes in, it comes in. I always think of my avocado tree in that moment. I have to remind myself about a letting go that on the tree, like, what is the moment the avocado drops from the tree? <laughs> a lot of times it's at 2 a.m. when I'm sleeping. It's over my roof. The tree's over my roof. But um, who does that, right? How did the avocado decide to separate from the tree? Or did the tree let go, right? I don't know. Uh, the avocado just got heavy enough or full enough. It's the same thing when we suffer enough with a greed or a wanting or a desire or anger, you know, at some point, the tree lets go. We let go. Now, no, I don't know when that will be. It may take a while for some of these things, right? It may not happen that quickly. But there's that mystery and this um, letting go of letting go. I don't know when that will be. Um, but I know I can cultivate certain conditions, which is the mindfulness practice, the self-compassion practice, and the wisdom practice, patience practice, right? The love of the truth, right? Love of, of seeing clearly, yeah? And that these things will help me cool. They'll help me cool the fires, right? They'll help me release a little. And, um, and we need that to sleep, and we need that to survive, and we need it globally as a society, right? We need to cool. 
So these are things that really need cultivating. Um, and to notice everyone in the room, we all need to notice um, when we're having moments that are free from craving, clinging, thirst, egoic stuff, me, 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 me. You all have those moments. But to really, the, the Buddha also teaches about knowing that and valuing it and seeing it, pausing there and taking a couple of cool breaths. This is not from me. This is from Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu. And when you see that moment where it's cooled, take some cool breaths and reflect and stay there, even if they're little. Yesterday I was walking on the beach somewhere down south and <coughs> I went up to this little coffee stand and they had ice cream. I thought, oh, you know, ice cream, the beach, hot weather, that's a good combo. And, um, <laughs> and I walk in there. And so they do something very fancy to the ice cream. I still don't understand. It had science in it. It had nitrogen in it. I don't know what they were doing. But they fool around with the ice cream to make it fancier so they could add a few more dollars onto the ice cream. And I stood there, you know, and I had the image of me and ice cream, and I deserved it. <laughs> I had my good amount of suffering that day, so I deserved an ice cream. And then um, I thought about how expensive the ice cream was, right? And the fact that I really didn't need ice cream. But, um, you know, just seeing even subtly the little coolings when the craving dies, right? The little cravings that die, the little cooling of Nibbana cultivates Nibbana. It helps you learn that state. Um, so that you can really um, work with the um, bigger ones, the bigger ones that got gotcha, you, right? Um, so, um, so it, I'm trying to think if there were other in examples of that. One just keeps wanting to come out of my mouth. And I'm like, you know, this is really an inappropriate one. And so, of course, you know I want to tell that one. Um, tell it, tell it. I think of a, a beautiful Nirvana story that is probably not so, you know, uh, I don't know if that's great for a Dharma talk, but um, of um, working with um, a young woman uh, many years ago she described this so beautifully. It's just pulling in my head. I can't get away from it. So she was um, working in a law firm while she's going to college um, to make some money. A very lovely young, very young lady. And um, one of the senior um, partners, it's much older, and um, giving her a lot of attention, a lot of attention. And somebody who was married with children who was should probably not have been. Um, and I remember um, her struggle. And obviously, he had some motives that, you know, he obviously was looking to have some kind of relationship with her. And we can kind of guess that this wasn't going to mean I'm getting a divorce or anything, but you know, right? And we all know the story. It's very classic. He's an older man, young person, beating. And but what? And I remember working with her um, in therapy, and 
her articulation of this is a moral line I don't want to cross, right? And I know this isn't what I want, and it, it's, it, it's not my value to, to do this. But I'm struck with my desire. I'm struck with how much I want it. Something in me wants this when I know that it's not right for me in any way, right? And some, a lovely person smart enough to go to therapy over that, that's, a, that's good judgment, you know, or to, to have sangha relationship. And it took many sessions, many talking through the deep craving that she had, this longing that she had. Obviously, we, we all know, you know, for a father image, there was a hunger for a father. And that, you know, obviously she didn't have the father that she wanted or longed for. Many of us, we don't have these early relationships that we want. There's already loss and clinging and, and craving inherent in just being human and loving. Um, but the reason why I go back to this story is it took a lot of awareness and staying in the body and looking at loss and emptiness to cool the craving. And I remember how articulate she was about the moment when the craving ended. And there were weeks and weeks and weeks where she just had the craving. She wanted the relationship with him. She wanted the attention. She wanted his um, sunshine on her, you know, his all that energy he was giving her. Um, and she was so clear about wanting, 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 seeing the wanting and sitting with it um, without doing it, without acting on it. And that moment when it dropped, the moment when it let go of her. You know, she didn't let go of it. It let go of her and there was just that moment we could see the ease in her body and on her face and in all of her being. You could just see it shift. I loved that moment. I, that moment stays with me. You know, to today, I remember that physical look of the dropping, of the letting go. It was like, ah, oh, I got it. I got it. So um, I, that's a nibbana, right? A cooling of this deep emptiness that desire fuels, you know. Sometimes it's our desire and our greed that gets fueled by that empty place. And when we can really compassionately and in community, you know, she wasn't alone, she was in therapy, but you could have friend or sangha hold that with you, right? That nibbana can happen. So let's see if there's anything else I would want to say about this. So he says, we want to cultivate Nibbana as an ordinary habit of mind because we need to relax the body and the mentally we need to relax it so we can get that freshness and that vitality. We actually need that cooling for peace as a basis for peace. And that all of us some of our craving is actually for periods free from craving, clinging, thirst, egoism, me, me, me. 
and and you've experienced that. Remember, one day last week of having you know some tough days, and I remember just doing something for someone without me in there, just doing, and that was such a release. It felt so good, you know. It felt so good to be free in that moment of my story. Yeah. Um, he says the nibbana element exists everywhere, but no one is interested in finding it. And yet, it's already waiting for people to find. Um, so he says, wherever you find coolness in your experience, mark that coolness firmly in your heart. Breathe in, breathe out, coolness. See it as a lesson. And don't mistake it for aloofness, disconnection, right? Detachment or suppression or denial. Um, it's not that, right? It's not just, you know, a quick fix, a spiritual bypass. It's sitting with the cooling coal. Um, and as we do this, we survive. We don't go crazy, and we sleep well at night. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.